Welcome to a brand new edition of Ewans. I'm Omar Moore. The Tigers roar and the Hornets lose their sting. Hull City 1, Watford 0. And the Watford women fall short in the FAWNL Cup Final in extra time. All of that and more on this brand new edition of The first sound you heard was Hull City on Saturday, and the second sound you heard was the Watford men's first team on Saturday, as they went down to defeat by a score of one goal to nil at the MKM Stadium. And I'll get to Hull versus Watford in just a few minutes' time, but first I want to talk about what happened yesterday in the FAWNL Cup Final at Burton Albion, between Nottingham Forest and Watford. It was a match that was thrilling to watch, end-to-end stuff from both of these teams in this engagement. Watford, of course, who are looking to do a league and cup double. They're trying to do that. They still they were on for it before the start of this game. They were chasing down Oxford United at the top of the Southern Premier Division in the FA WNL. And, of course, uh, had a golden opportunity to win an FA Cup final or a WFA uh, WNL Cup final at Burton Albion yesterday. It was a back-and-forth game. Watford got a very good start indeed. It was Gemma Davison from a corner who converted into the back of the forest net, straight from the corner, untouched, into the back of the net. A dream start for Watford, really within the first two minutes, inside a minute and a half, really, of this game to start this contest. And Watford were up 1-0, looking good. But it was Nottingham Forest who came back into the game looking very sharp indeed, had a few chances that were cleared off the line and that hit the posts, hit crossbars. Watford's defence was rear-guard, very determined, disciplined, organised defence. And I was very pleased at the way that Watford defended this game throughout and they withstood a lot of Nottingham Forest pressure, and Forest pressure would end up telling right near the end of half because they did get the goal, a goal coming in to equalize. It was uh, Domingo, Sofia Domingo, who, Sophie Domingo, who was dangerous all game long um, for Forest, who just a few minutes before was on the floor and managed to get a ball in, and the nitty went in. And then just a few moments later, it was her run down the side and her pass to Greengrass, who put the ball past the Watford defence and into the back of the Watford net, past the goalkeeper, Goldschmidt. I think at that moment, that was the only moment I remember, really, in the whole entire contest where Watford's defence wasn't quite there. Um, I think they got a bit late to the ball, um, and the... A player, Greengrass, was able to slot the ball home to equalize. And it was a deserved equalizer for a Forest side that kept going, uh, kept battling. 
in this contest. Watford then went into the break at 1-1, having um, had the lead for so long from the very first moment of really of the game, it seemed, because they were up for a long time in the game, but there were warning signs. And unfortunately went in, did Watford at the break at 1-1. Now in the second half, Watford were under a lot of pressure. Lingham Forest started out much the brighter side, continuing to press Watford very high up the pitch in some instances. And I think Watford could have pressed a bit more themselves, but it wasn't to be that way. And Nottingham Forest got a goal uh, not too long into the second half. And it was an unfortunate one from a Watford point of view. A thunderous shot against the crossbar dropped. And um, it was the goalkeeper who actually tried to make a really, made a good save out of it, I think, to put it onto the crossbar, if I remember correctly. And the ball dropped. And Goldschmidt was trying to get to the ball and the ball was literally maybe one to two feet away from her. And she couldn't gather the ball in time before the forest striker who thumped the ball, a really good shot, was able to run in and pounce on the rebound and put it past Goldschmidt. It was an unfortunate goal. A goalkeeper perhaps um, could have done a little bit better there. And unfortunately, it made... uh, the scoreline, Forest 2, Watford 1. And so at that point, it looked tough for the Golden Girls. They kept fighting and they were resilient. They had a few really good chances in this game. Very good opportunities to even the score. And then they would finally get one of those opportunities to go in. It was, again, I think a set-piece goal. And it was Poppy Wilson scoring late on in the game to give Watford a 2-2 contest at that point. It was a good goal from Wilson. She nodded it over the line, um, you know, headed it over the line, prodded it over the line with her head, and that was 2-2. I think it's a goalkeeping mistake as well from Forrest, but the bottom line is is that Watford won't care about that. At that moment, it was 2-2. And so we were into the last few minutes of the match then, um, with Watford with an opportunity to try to win the game. Helen Ward came in as a sub. Uh, She uh, had an opportunity. Uh, Instead, she passed the ball when I think she could have shot the ball, but she passed it. And unfortunately, Watford did not make any more of that opportunity. Forrest could have had a goal very late in regulation time, and they didn't, thank goodness for that. And then it was on to extra time at 2-2, Really good end-to-end stuff in this game. And then it went to extra time. First half of extra time, Watford should have scored. Same thing with Nottingham Forest. Um, Somehow missed an open goal did Forest in that first half of extra time. And they really should have had that tie wrapped up. But then it was late on with about four and a half minutes to go in injury time in the, excuse me, in the second half of extra time, excuse me, four and a half minutes and change to go. And it was Nottingham Forest getting a goal from, a, I think, a pretty horrible mistake. Ball was pa- passed in and played through. It bounced. Um, the substitute for uh, the player for Nottingham Forest, uh, Gianna Mitchell, who was a pain in the neck all day long, um, tried to tip the ball or get, get a toe on the ball to prod it over the advancing Goldschmidt from the Watford goal. And the goalie did not get a hand to the ball, was not able to get to the ball at all. In fact, I don't think the ball even got 
the foot of Gianna Mitchell and the ball bounced over both of them and over the goalkeeper and over the line and into the back of the net. It was really, really a cruel way for a team to lose a match in an FA in an FAWNL Cup final. It was a brutal way to lose. It was a horrible mistake. Nobody seemed to touch that ball. I don't know if Goldschmidt in the Watford goal was put off by Jana Mitchell trying to get a toe on the ball to put it, a boot on the ball to try and put it over her in the back of the net, or whether she just misjudged it. But the bottom line is, is the ball ended up in the back of the net, and it was a really shocking and disbelieving moment for Watford fans and obviously for the Watford players and for the Watford goalie. And I'm sure that uh, Goldschmidt will have a lot of sleepless nights over this one. I'm sure that Sunday night was very rough for her as she uh, tried to get some sleep. And this probably was a very sleepless night after that one. A really cruel way to def- to be defeated in a cup final of any kind. And unfortunately for Watford, Nottingham Forest would win by that three goals to two margin, by that cruel mistake that error that really was misjudged. I think the bottom line is, is that that was the end of that for Watford and a disappointing result, of course, in the circumstances around that result in terms of that third goal for Forrest. And it's a shame because a game like this that was so evenly contested, that was end to end, that was thrilling football, that saw some passion and heart from both sides uh, the Watford side must be saluted, and it's a shame that it would end this way. Sometimes, though, when you have these kinds of contests, it is a cruel mistake or something like a freak uh, mistake or a bounce that happens against you that costs you the game. It sometimes happens that way. Sometimes these really good contests are settled by things like this, and sometimes you have cup finals that are very drab and boring that get settled by an individual moment of brilliance, and so. This is the way it goes, unfortunately, sometimes. It's a very tough lesson, though, for this battling Watford side to learn and for the goalkeeper particularly. But none of these Watford players should hang their heads. They played very well. They gave you spirit, passion, professionalism, energy, desire, grit, determination, and character. For that Watford side to be down 2-1 and still get back into the game, and score within the button with the last 15, 20 minutes left to score in that moment when you're down 2-1 in the cup final. That is really good stuff. That That's character. This Watford side had the lead and then lost the lead and trailed and still managed to get the goal to even things up at two and force extra time and be resilient all the way through. So really, really good performance from Watford. And, and kudos to the Watford women. They did extraordinarily well against the Forest side that were bigger. They were much more physical Forest side, I think. You could tell that they, that they um, were up for a scrap. Very imposing uh, players. I thought that Watford dealt with it well. Watford dealt with the physicality of the Nottingham Forest players very well indeed. I thought they contained Forest well, given everything that Forest threw at Watford in this one. But these women who played football yesterday have nothing to be ashamed of. Obviously, this defeat hurts. It's deeply painful to lose and then to lose in that manner. And uh, commiserations to all the Watford players, particularly Goldschmidt, the goalkeeper for Watford, who has been outstanding in this game. It must be said, she was outstanding. 
Um, you know, it just happens that these mistakes get made. These errors happen. It's a difficult situation. Um, but again, uh, hats off to Goldschmidt. She did an excellent job in that goal. It's just a shame that a mistake or two um, was the difference. Um, she'll be back better than ever. I am confident of that um, for next season. And certainly, look, the season's not over. Watford still have a very important Thursday rendezvous with Oxford United. And knowing that if they beat Oxford United this coming Thursday at the Vic, they will, unless Oxford and Watford, as Oxford and Ipswich don't, um, uh, doesn't happen favorably for Oxford, um, Watford will be top of the table going into their final game this coming Sunday at Billericay Town. And I think that a defeat like the one in the cup final, as painful as it was, will motivate Watford and can serve as motivation for Watford because it was a battling performance from these Golden Girls. So, again, unfortunately for the Golden Girls, it was not to be on this Sunday as the final score, once again, from Burton Albion's Pirelli Stadium in the FAWNL Cup Final. Nottingham Forest 3, Watford 2. When I come back, it'll be time to talk about the Watford men. And really, is it really worth talking about them? Yeah, I had to play it again. I just couldn't resist. The first sound you heard again was the sound of a tiger roaring. The Hull City Tigers. That's who that sound bite basically was. And the second sound you heard was the voice of a male screaming. And that really was Watford on Saturday, the men's first team. Now, look, I told you, the Watford women I couldn't be more proud of. I couldn't be prouder of. They gave you heart, soul, effort, grit, spirit. I wish I could say the same about this Watford men's first team, though. And I can't. Yeah, they gave you, well, they gave you a bit of an effort. They gave you more effort on Saturday at the MKM in the championship. Really the penultimate away game of a forgettable and miserable Watford men's first team season. But generally speaking, they didn't give you anything else. They didn't give you any end product. A bit more effort and no goals and no end product. And of course, if you don't have end product, you're not going to score. You're not going to get any goals. This Watford men's side really needs to leave now. And let's just finish off these two games with academy players. And I know the under-21s have had a lot of academy players, obviously. The under-21s um, got a draw today, by the way. Um, and Adrian Blake scored the goal. But I would like to see Adrian Blake figure in one of these final two games for Watford this season before their season comes to a miserable crashing end. But let's just go over, shall we, briefly, the Watford um, effort at Hull? Because they did give an effort. Now, I don't agree with, and I'm going to play the clip in just a moment, I'm not going to agree at all with Chris Wilder to say that it was a good effort. It was an effort. Would you want to characterize it as a good effort? Maybe you want to do that. 
Is there such a thing as a bad effort? <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there is. Maybe there isn't. But Watford did give you an effort on Saturday at the MKM against the Hull City side that were mid-table, right below Watford before the start of play, or at least a place or two below Watford, who started themselves in 12th place in this one before it started at the start of play. But it really was a performance by Watford that, although they got off to a pretty decent start, did not yield anything from it because the end product wasn't there. Opportunities were there for Watford. They just weren't taken. And on the 25th minute of action, it was the home side that took an opportunity through their player and then really their talisman now, Ozan Tufan. And if that name rings a bell, it's because Mr. Tufan was a Watford player briefly last season when we were in the Premier League. And he did not do a thing for Watford, but he has done many things since going to Hull City. And one of those things is score goals. He scored his eighth goal of the season yesterday, uh, on Saturday. That's eight more goals than he scored at Watford. And uh, Tufan got that goal from the penalty spot because there was a defensive mistake from Christian Cabaselli. And that mistake put Ryan Andrews under pressure. And Ryan Andrews, unfortunately, took down one of the Hull City players in the 18-yard box. Penalty it was. No mistake about that. The referee points to the spot and... It was Ozan Tufan who dutifully dispatched from the spot to make it Hull City 1, Watford 0. And that was the only goal of this contest. Watford should have had a penalty in the second half in the 63rd minute. A clear handball. It was as blatant as the day is long. And yet the referee either didn't see it or just chose not to. Whatever it was, the referee did not give the handball. Now, had VAR been in effect in the championship, that would have been overturned and there would have been a penalty. And it, it, listen, there's just no question about it. That was a clear and obvious penalty. It was a stonewall pen. The bottom line is, is the referee got it wrong. And I thought the referee did not have the best of games. But again, the referee um, in that moment, you know, he he missed it. Clearly missed it. Clearly missed it. And apparently the, lines, the linesmen, the officials did there as well. The assistants did not see it either. But that was a clear penalty. That was a handball and it would have been a penalty had it been VAR. And you would have had an opportunity then to equalize. Now, I'm not saying that Watford would have scored from the penalty spot. We've had our fair share of problems this season in this Watford men's first team of scoring from the spot. We know that. But... Again, at least the chance presented itself for Watford to equalize from the spot. And when that chance isn't given, it means that look, the day is probably not going to belong to you anyway. Be that as it may, Watford still had several chances to come back and get an equalizer. And they continued to try to fight for an equalizer. But as they continued to try to do that, they actually got more selfish. You had more players trying to take on the responsibility on their shoulders by themselves rather than pass the ball to teammates in the box. Ken Semmer, who came on in this game, or actually may have start, he started the game. I'm not even going to bother reading out the lineup. Um, but he started the game, Ken Semmer, after being on the bench uh, for a number of games under Chris Wilder. And the bottom line is, is that he shot from the 18-yard box when they were four or five Watford players in the box that he could have elected to pass to, but didn't. And so when you're chasing a game and you're down 1-0, you can't 
be that selfish. You have to start threading the needle and start passing the ball when there's available players to pass it to. And Ken Semmer decided not to do that. He's not the only one. There were other players who went very selfish, one-on-one, decided to take shots from outside the box. When their players out there, Ryan Andrews was looking for a ball, for example, in the, I think, the first half of the game, second half of the game, whichever half it was, it was in the game. And he played the ball to someone and he was running into the box and he stretched his arms out as if to say, play it into the space to me. And the player who he was motioning to didn't do it, just didn't do it. He played a shot to someone else where he took a shot, played a pass to someone else who took a shot. And that's what happened. That's how it was in the second half of this game, especially Watford got very much selfish, individualized as they've been in a lot of games. And instead of doing the right thing by a teammate to give a teammate an opportunity, they decided not to. A lot of these players in that game on Saturday at the MKM and as a result, Hull City, who didn't really do a heck of a lot in this game, they did have some chances. But generally speaking, uh, Daniel Backman was not very busy in this game. He really did not have a whole heck of a lot to do. But look, the bottom line is, is that despite the fact that Daniel Backman had very, very little to do in this game, Watford didn't do enough going forward. And you can't have a result in your favor when you're not doing the basic footballing fundamentals that get you success in football. And we've seen this over and over again with this Watford team. Their utter failure to be team players when the situation really demands it. It's one thing to take a shot at goal in the first 20, 25 minutes of a game, or even in the first part of the second half of a game, even when you're 1-0 down. But when you're in the final 15 minutes or so of a game and you're still down 1-0, you shouldn't be taking shots from outside the 18-yard box. Not when you're down 1-0. Not when you're down 1-0. Away from home. That should not be the case. So unfortunately, though, it was a lesson that Watford did not learn. And unfortunately for Watford, because of the selfishness, they were not able to put forth the kind of effort that you would like to see in these scenarios. And unfortunately for Watford, uh, look, they just did not do enough to get anything out of this game. And so what you saw at the end there was the Watford side who knew that they were not going to get much from this game, playing like a team of individuals like they did on Wednesday against Cardiff City in that uh, defeat at home. And Watford have continued to massively um, underachieve here. It's been one of those very, very poor seasons that really you have to um, look at now and say to yourself, what was this in aid of? It was an absolute horror show all season long. And there's still two more games to go. Here's what Chris Wilder had to say. And you judge for yourself from... Chris Wilder's comments about this game. Chris, good effort, but uh, you probably deserved something from the game, didn't you? Definitely. Uh, critical of the players on, on, on Wednesday night, said them a bit. And, uh, yeah, we made a little bit of a mistake and got punished. We've had enough chances to get some out of the game, and obviously the penalty will be a talking point. I think when you look across to, to, to Liam, who I really respect, and he's a fantastic young coach and he's going to be a really good manager, I think their, their body language and their reaction is that they dodged the bullet 
because when the reaction of, of 10 players is straight away and then I've just seen, I saw it uh, on the on the iPad that we've got in the dugout and then seen it again now, it's it's a penalty. And, and we're going through one of those little periods, as we said, we're a bit inconsistent. And I believe if we'd have if we would have got back into the game with that or one of the chances, um, then you know we'd have deserved something from the game. And who knows, it could have been, you know, um, a, a, a win. Um, but you know, I think people look at it and 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 look, you know, with the, with the atmosphere and the feel of, of it at, at the moment, the players went right to the end. I've you know, quick one. I've got one that. Am I looking to my right, second half, or am I looking to my left? Was I looking to my left, second half, or at first half, or was I looking to my right? It was a typical championship game, first half, not a lot in it. They punished our mistakes, and it was, it was, a, it was a good effort. And I don't like good efforts. You know, I'd rather get a good effort with, with a result. But I, I'll say it as it is, I don't think the player. I thought the players give it give it a right go and um, and deserve something from the from the game. And we just got to go into these last two games and and see what we can get out of it. But um, disappointing, as I said, you know, watched a lot of games in the championship, and that's a typical one, judged and decided by fine moments. And unfortunately, we've not took the big chances that we had. Mm. Going back to the the penalty claim, it was a long way from when the ball was played. It wasn't as though it was close to Pedro. Yeah, Jeff, he's, he's he's moved his arm out. He's, he's moved his body out. He's moved his arm out. You know, I, I can't believe how he's not seen it. And like I said, you know. Pro's reaction of, of professional footballers. It wasn't just one or two went up. It was like people from all over the pitch. And I don't think it was a clutching one, you know. But like I said, look to the right. And if it was given against me, uh, if it was given against me, I believe that you would have to say that is a penalty. And I think I won't come into a post-match interview and mug myself off. And I don't think the opposition manager will do that as well because he's he's cut from a good good cloth and uh, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good guy. And I think that he'll, he'll realise... I think if it was given against them, uh, I think if they hadn't got that today, that would have been maybe a, a bigger talking point from an own team point of view. The best chance in the second half to start. It was a good save from Dardo, actually, to be yeah, fair. Yeah, he just needs a little bit on it. Dan's not had anything to do second half. I don't think he's really had much to do first half. You know, the shape they, they play a real a difficult shape to contain. Possession-based, two deep centre-forwards as tens. We've got, you know, the shape of the team right. We've got the press of the team right. Um, we were a little bit loose at times in terms of our passing because that final bit that really goes, put, puts teams to bed that gets us gets us into really good positions and then gets the final run, run pass cross and finish we was just a little bit slight with you know so we didn't we didn't find that one but yeah Jao's a bit disappointed with the header you know talking to him afterwards a bit disappointed it's a great ball in from loser possibly should just edit down got too much on it and Jao's had one where we've not really capitalised on their mistake and they have from our point of view and, and uh, it's a disappointing afternoon. Any complaint with the goal that was, well, the penalty that was given for them? It's a bit of a clumsy one from Andrews. Yeah, no, straight away. I, I think we, 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 we knew, you know, another player slipped again, which I, I just don't get. I don't understand people changing the boots at half-time when, it, when, when the damage has been done, you know. Do the right thing, be professional, wear the right boots on a on a on a wet pitch. You know, you come up north, anywhere past Watford, it's going to be it's going to be wet. Um, so we've lost lost the ball in the middle of the park. We slipped. We've made a slight mistake, and yet again, one two mistakes makes goes into three. And and, and young Ryan, who yet again I thought was 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 really positive. Um, it's just been a little bit rash to make contact with their boy, and obviously it's it's apparently no no um, no complaints from me. With runs like this, just things go against you. It just happens in football sometimes, doesn't it? Yeah, adversity. 
Um, you know, I think if people look through, you know, people's careers and from my point of view as a coach and a manager, I've had adversity right away, right the way through. From the start, uh, you know, went went to Northampton, you know, went to Oxford middle of the table, went to Sheffield middle of the table, adversity, you have to come through it. So, you know, we will, players will come through it, managers, coaches will come through it because, you know, not everybody can win and you just have to dig a little bit deeper. And I thought we did today, we dug a little bit deeper because it was a difficult old journey up, up, up the road after what was said and where the result had gone on Wednesday night. Um, and But I, I did think the reaction was, was a positive one. Um, and it has to be, you know, um, and I know supporters will, will go away and, you know, be really disappointed with the, with the result and, uh, and, and, you know, they can be critical of performance. I think it wasn't as bad a performance as maybe it'll get talked about, but it's about opinions and whatever. And I've, I've had my opinion, honest opinion, when we've when it's been negative and, you know, I've got to say I thought we deserved, definitely deserved at least a point out of the game today. Cheers, Chris. Cheers. Chris Wilder there, and thank you to Watford Football Club for the audio for those comments from Saturday after the game. I think Chris Wilder, well, I just disagree with him here. This was not something that Watford deserved any points from. They didn't deserve anything here because they didn't do enough. Again, they were going through the motions, I think, in various aspects of this game. There's no question they gave an effort. You know, I don't think that that's beyond dispute. I don't think that's beyond any doubt, I should say. But the bottom line for me is that this team continues to reveal itself as a bunch of selfish footballers. That's what it does. And this men's team, this men's first team has less professionalism in it than the academy team does. Far less. And the academy team is not a professional team. These players are playing for a paycheck in this men's first team. They do not care about the results in these games. They may tell you that they do, but their play on the pitch is what really does the talking and the body language does the talking. We've seen it over and over again this season. You know, there are some comments from Ben Manga that I want to get to that I think are quite revealing. And I'll talk about them in the next segment of this particular episode of Yawns. It's very clear to me that these players, we've seen it all season long, whether it was Vakun Bio trudging off the pitch slowly in a 1-1 draw against Rotherham. I'll never forget that. You know, the game was still 20 minutes to go and he was upset that he's being subbed off and he wasn't really doing a whole lot in the game to be upset about. And he subbed off and he takes an age to get off the pitch. Some of the Watford fans are booing him and he sulks. You know, and then he has to put out an apology. And I wonder whether he did that on his own or whether someone got behind him and told him and lit a fire under him and said, you better apologize. Whatever it was, he apologized anyway, it happened. And now he's back in Belgium. No sign that he'll be coming back to this club. And I think he should also pack his bags. But it's indicative of this entire season of this useless first team of male players who have not done enough here nearly enough to earn the trust or the respect of the fan base. The players have been a disaster, and we know that this comes from upstairs. You can't isolate the players from the top, or rather you can't isolate the owner from this because the owner has to take responsibility here. And I notice that there's a, a, a really, I think, an, an effort now to insulate Gino Pozzo from any of what's going on on the pitch. Well, you can't do that. You can't do that. And by the way, the comments of Ben Manga that I'll get to in the next section, um, I think speak to this as well. 
But the bottom line is, is that Watford did not deserve to get anything out of the game. So that's where I take issue, uh, disagree with Chris Wilder. You know, I, I disagree with him on that. Um, was it a good effort? <laughs> was it a better effort than Wednesday? Well, anything would be better than last Wednesday against Cardiff. That is beyond doubt either. I mean, that's not, that is definitely beyond any doubt. But again, against a team that's not playing for anything, Hull City were never in position to be playing for playoffs. Watford, mathematically speaking, were. And all the results, by the way, went Watford's way, perhaps except one result. But look, I told you weeks ago they were not making the playoffs. And it's not going to happen now. They're not going to score seven goals in their next game. And hope that Millwall, who lost, I think it was, or got a draw, whatever it was over the weekend, somehow don't score goals. I mean, look, the bottom line is is that the playoffs are done, mathematically and otherwise. They're not going to score six goals. They've not scored five goals in a game all season long, Watford, in the championship. They've not. So don't look for it to happen against Sunderland, which is the next game. That's at the Stadium of Light. And don't look for it to happen at home against Stoke, even though they scored four against Stoke at the bet 365 last October. Don't look at that. Don't look for that to happen on Bank Holiday Monday, May 8th. It's not going to happen. What I've been saying for weeks now is that we should be focusing on next season and the owner should be as well. Ben Manga clearly is. I'll get to Ben Manga's comments coming up in the next segment. But one thing I do want to say um right now is to talk a bit about, very briefly, the lack of professionalism from Tommy Mooney. Tommy Mooney, as many of you as Watford supporters know, was a Watford player, did some excellent things on the pitch for Watford in his time. And, you know, he's a player from, you know, a decade or two ago now for Watford, scored the famous goal in the away win at uh, Liverpool, the only time that Watford have won away at Liverpool in the Premier League, and in fact in any league, um, winning against Liverpool at Anfield by a score of one goal to nil. That was back in 1999, if I remember it correctly. And so that was a great moment for Tony Mooney. He's a prolific goal scorer, um, someone who I, I think uh, really epitomised Watford's spirit and fight. Tommy Mooney has been a commentator now with John Marks on the Watford Hive Live service for a number of seasons. He's provided uh, color commentary, co-commentary, I should say, as an analyst on these broadcasts on the radio, on the video. And I am one of those fans who does pay. Uh, the only monies that I contribute to this club now uh, are paying for Hive Live. I do not buy merchandise anymore because, of course, we need changes at this club. Bottom line is, is that Tommy Mooney has been an analyst for a few seasons now at Watford. And one of his lowest points, and he's not been without a few of those in his analyst career at Watford. One of his lowest points, and I think this is the lowest point, um, is what he said repeatedly about former Watford player and now Hull City man Ozan Tufan. Talked about his weight, talked about his eating, made so-called jokes in quotes. I don't know how you joke about people's body weight. I don't know why you choose to do that as a commentator on a footballing service. But 
This is what Tommy Mooney was doing, made repeated references in the first half of the game to Ozan Tufan and his weight. First comment was to the effect of, and it was John Marks who asked the question or said, made an observation. Well, you know, Tufan looks really slim, looks like he's lost weight, looks like he's really slim in that whole city shirt. And Tommy Mooney says, oh, it's the stripes. Oh, it's the stripes. Got to be the stripes. Oh, you know, he's because he's a big lad and he's this and he's that and the other. It must be the stripes. Makes him look thinner. That's first comment. Then he goes on again later on to talk about, well, he's a big lad. You know, he's not Mr. Meal. He's done this. He's done that. Then he makes another comment later on in the first half. Well, I'm surprised he's not eaten anything yet. I'm surprised he hasn't had something to eat yet. I mean, all of these unnecessary things to be said about a footballer and to repeat them. Not once, twice, three times in the first half of a game. It's got nothing to do with the football. Now you're just lobbing attacks now at someone's body weight. And it's just ridiculous. I don't even think, by the way, that Tufan is even out of shape or out of weight. Um, but the bottom line is, is that that kind of nonsense has no place in a commentary. Now, I know there are some Watford fans. Some of them got in touch with me saying, oh, well, don't, oh, you should lighten up. It's not really a big deal. You know, th- those kinds of people who back up incorrect behaviors and, and back insulting people's body weight and who back misogyny and who back racism. You're always going to get one or two Watford supporters who always, you know, whether on social media or elsewhere in the world, who are going to support that. They're, yeah, I'm for it. Yeah. Oh, you're woke. Ugh. Some stupid stuff like that. You're going to get that from some Watford supporters. You're going to get that from some people in general because that is the world that you're living in, right? And there were some Watford fans said, well, it's banter. Well, listen, banter about something else, mate. You're on a commentary that goes out to people all over the world. Now, I can understand, really, almost understand, or I should say, I know that people talk like this about people in their own privacy, their own home. If that's what people do, I understand that they do it. I'm not expressing an opinion one way or the other on that. I wouldn't do that in the comfort of my own home. I never do because there's more important things to be concerned about, quite frankly, than insult, you know, than than, than, than spending time talking about someone's body weight, really. I mean, I, I would hope that your life is a bit more full and interesting than having to talk about how someone's weight is to you in the comfort of your own home. I would think you'd have something more pressing to talk about. But why I'm talking about this is because this is not banter. Making fun of or so-called joking about someone's weight is not banter when you're doing it on a commentary. Now, what you say between you and your friends is entirely up to you. What Tommy Mooney says behind closed doors to his mates is entirely up to Tommy Mooney. That's entirely up to him. That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about you are a co-commentator or an analyst on a so-called original family club broadcast. You have to be better than that. You have to be better than that. Simple as. You can't get out there talking about players' body weights and repeatedly talking about Oh, has he had something to eat yet? I'm surprised he had. I mean, some people find that stuff funny, but it's not funny. It really shows how small you are as a commentator. 
as a person that you would spend two, three or four occasions in the first half of a game talking about someone's body weight. I think you should be looking at your own body weight before you start criticizing players' body weights. Ozan Tufan used to be at Watford. And yeah, he wasn't any good with Watford, but that doesn't mean that you've now got to slag him off, slate him off, excuse my language, slate him off now because he's now playing for a team that might finish above yours. And it seems really personal to me when you continue. It seems like an, a personal, it's not personal to me personally, but it seems like a personal attack. When you are now, going on and on about Ozan Tufan, banging on about him two, three, four times in the first half. Uh, I mean, oh, he's not fit for the English game. Okay, so you don't like the guy. Fine, okay. We understand it. You don't like him. But he's got to be fit for the English game if he's leading Hull City with eight goals this season and Hull are only one place below Watford. I think he's fit for the English game. Tommy, uh, that's just a bunch of nonsense from him. You know, you've got to be better than that, Tommy. This is supposed to be, supposed to be, the original family club. And some of the fan base are people who come in different shapes and sizes. We all do. What are you doing banging on about the guy's weight for? That's got nothing to do with his football. It's just ridiculous. And I, I don't know, some Watford fans, oh, well, I've heard this on other commentaries and there's banter, other commentators do. I don't care, it's wrong. Just because other commentators might do it for other clubs or might do it on TV, it's wrong. Don't tell me that other commentators do the wrong thing and so there's solidarity in numbers, there's strength in numbers in the number of people that do the wrong thing, so then you can hide behind that and justify what some Neanderthal does? I ah, come on now. What's wrong is wrong. And when my club does it, I will talk about it. When my club does good things, I will talk about it. And I'm not bothered about what other clubs do. But to sit there and go, well, I've heard this with other clubs. So what? It's wrong. <laughs> it is wrong. Gosh, God, I mean, it, you know, again, why is it that people choose to defend this kind of behavior? You might not think it's a big deal, but it actually is. When you've got a co-analyst on your broadcast having a go at a player, a male player in this instance, and his weight, or perception about his weight. What's Tommy Mooney going to do next? Have a go at the female players who are in football? Is he going to have a go at them and talk about their weight? It's absurd. It's absurd. And I know there'll be some Watford fans who will agree with me. There'll be some who don't. Listen, I'm not here to be thinking about who agrees and who doesn't. That's not why I do these podcasts. That's not it. The point is, is that that from Tommy Mooney is below board. It is not something that should be in keeping and is in keeping with this club's tradition. But lately, it personifies the tradition of this club in the last few seasons because it is 
an absolute personification of everything that's wrong at Watford Football Club at the minute. Ejecting fans from the stadium for speaking their mind and allegedly saying that free speech isn't allowed in the stadium. Club official allegedly saying that. Getting rid of banners. You know, not uh, being attentive to the fans' concerns. Not responding to fans in a way that's decent but is much more hostile. Having fans get coaches for buses, for Harry Potter buses, for the Luton game. It's entirely in keeping with the contempt that this club has for its fan base. Tommy Mooney now having a go repeatedly at somebody's weight. Now, there you go. That is not needed at this club. It's not needed. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And the man, as, and as one Watford fan pointed out, the man scored. And he was doing this before and after he scored. Tommy Mooney was. When Tufan got the goal, after that he was having a go at him. Before that he was having a go at him. It's really small and petty of Tommy Mooney to be wasting time on a broadcast that goes out to people all over the world for him to be doing that. It's a waste of time. And I, listen, I got in touch with John Marks about this on social media. And I said to him, you know, this is not, appropriate for a game it's not about being woke it's not about any of that it's about what how decent are you a decent person or not and that's not oh it's woke it's not about that it's about are you a decent person or not and obviously he's not a decent person if he's gonna spend not once not twice but three at least three times in that first half talking about the man's body weight that's pathetic you've got to do better than that and once I got in touch with John Marks about this, you didn't hear another word about Ozan Tufan and his body weight in the second half of the game. Tommy Mooney kept stum. You didn't hear a single thing out of him around the weight of Ozan Tufan. And really, Tommy, please stick to the analyzing these these games. And look, quite frankly, I would rather have someone else do the do the uh, the analysis. The God, I can't even talk now. Jesus, I would quite frankly like someone else to do the analysis next season alongside John Marks. Bring in Helen Ward. I'd love to see Helen Ward do this. The times that she has done it. Listen, I think Helen Ward does this very well. As a footballer herself, obviously, she knows the game extremely well. Knows the ins and outs of the game. Bring Troy Deeney to do the uh, co-commentary. Bring in, I mean, there's a load of people I'd bring in, you know? Definitely bring Helen Ward in. My first choice would be Helen Ward if she's got time in her busy life. Uh, bring her in to do some of the, to do these commentaries. I would love that. It's about time we had more, that this male-dominated um, area allows more women into it. Uh, you know, uh, I mean, it's it's just simple as let's let's have more women doing these. Co- We're seeing more female commentators now doing these games in the Premier League. Let's have some more female analysts. There are more female analysts doing football in the Premier League. Let's let's see it in the Championship. Let's see it all over. I would love to see more female uh, and hear more female analysts at Watford. I will. I really would like to see that. And next season, Helen Ward should be sitting alongside 
Tom, uh, Tom, John Marks, and talking about these Watford matches. I, I mean, I would love to see that happen. I think Tommy Mooney, just because he was a good player, and just because you are a good player, and I know I've talked about Helen Ward, and Helen Ward's done some of the an, the analysis job uh, with Watford as an analyst. She's been very good. But just because you are a player, in the case of Tommy Mooney, doesn't mean that makes you a good analyst. Some some of the Watford fan base, I've observed them on Twitter. I've observed them, some of them. I don't know how large that number is. I wouldn't say it's everybody. But there are people who do not really care for Tommy Mooney's analysis of some of these games. They've been critical of it. You know, and I disagree with some of the stuff he said as well about some of the analysis that he does. You know, it's something that some of it's not accurate to me. I, you know, we have different opinions. But something that is definitely not in good keeping with the so-called family club is a commentator on Hive Live repeatedly making those kinds of comments. There's just no place for that stuff, in my view. There's no place for it in the game. Some will agree, some won't. doesn't matter to me whether people agree with me or not on this, or on anything, really, on anything. The bottom line is, is that you've got to be better than that. Be a professional. What you say on the air, you have to be careful. You have to, you know, you have to be circumspect. What you say in your, your behind, in, you know, in closed doors of your mates, that's up to you. I'm not going to sit here and say anything about that. That's your personal domain. If you want to say something to your mates, that's, you have every right to. Now, I might not agree with what you're saying to your mates, but I'm not going to sit here and make a noise about that because that's in your own comfort of your own home. That's when you're not on commentary, you're not on comms, and you're with your friends or your mates, and you're going to say what you're going to say, regardless, right? That's not what I'm talking about here. I'm talking about when you're on a broadcast, and you are representing the football club, because that's what you're doing. Whether you like it or not, you're an ex-Watford player, and you're now on the Watford communication channels that go out across the world, and you're representing the club. And that is not in keeping with a club that likes to say that it's the original family club, that likes to say that it's done so much in the community, and it has, that likes to talk about how it's inclusive, that likes to talk about that it reaches out to different causes, and reaches out to people who are senior citizens, talks about things like body positivity, and deals with and has a great sensory room that, that helps out kids who have autism, all of these things, right? That That is what we're told. That's what you do. And then look at what you do. You've got a commentator, a co-commentator on Hive Live who is behaving like, really, like a Neanderthal. Uh, come on now. That kind of stuff that I heard this weekend, that's the kind of stuff you would have heard in the 60s and 70s and maybe into the 80s. And I get it. Maybe there are commentators at other footballing grounds and other communications outlets who do this kind of thing. But like I said earlier, it's not right. It's wrong. And it doesn't matter if other people do it. Two wrongs don't make a right. Anyway, I think I've made my point very clear about uh, Tommy Mooney. Next, Ben Manga and comments that he made to the Watford Observer's Andrew French. 
Welcome back to Yawns. I'm Omar Moore. Watford Observer reporter and longtime Watford fan Andrew French sat down with Watford FC technical director Ben Manga recently for a series of conversations. And they have been serialized in the Watford Observer. I urge you to read all of them. There's some really good material there that Andrew got from Ben Manga, who has really laid down very clearly where his ambitions and ideas are for Watford Football Club, particularly where the men's team is concerned. And some very revealing quotes. Uh, I mean, I'm going to take some of them out of context, I guess, inevitably here, because the, the context needs to be put toward all these things. You need to go to the Watford Observer at watfordobserver.co.uk. And you can also follow Andrew French, A-N-D-R-O-O, and then the last name French, on Twitter. And you'll be able to get these articles as well there. And I've retweeted one out at WFC on Twitter as well. But the bottom line here is that Ben Manga gave some very good comments here. And I think it really reflects who Ben Manga is, what his ideas are. He has a, an illustrious track record at places like Eintracht, Frankfurt, and numerous other places across Germany and, and in Europe in general. And he's been well-respected throughout the game of football. He also played as a footballer as well. And so Ben Manga, who's scouted, is at all that has got his team with him, Helena Costa, and also the gentleman that I forgot the name of, who have worked, worked with him now. And so... One of the things that came across for me in some of the comments that were made during the course of this interview is the quote that really jumped out, which was from Ben Manga. I hope Gino will be able to trust me on this. And this he's talking about is the managerial situations with, and also with the player situations. Manga also has responsibility. He said, quote, I have responsibility for hiring coaches and signing players. Ben Manga now, according to what was said by Ben Manga, the Watford technical director, in the Watford Observer with Andrew French, has the responsibility now for hiring coaches and signing players. That apparently is all under the control of Ben Manga. Now, time will tell. Just how much control and how long of a control mechanism Ben Manga does have on that process. And if Ben Manga is being trusted with this, he must be trusted 100%. And that's where that quote about trust really jumps in for me when he says, Ben Manga that is, is quoted as saying, I hope that Gino can trust me on this. I mean, that's pretty revealing to say that publicly, I think. You know, at least it's honest, which is what you value, because we've not had a lot in the way of honesty from some of the representatives at this club we love over the last couple of years, have we? So we've not had a lot of that. So it's refreshing when you hear that from Ben Manga. He says that um, that he is uh, hopeful that fans are happy and proud of the club. That's his main hope. The quote, the main hope for me is that we have fans who are happy and pr- proud of their club. Now, yeah, I hope for that too, but that's got to come when changes do come. And so obviously I think Ben Manga knows that. He spoke to that in some of the interviews that he did with Andrew French. 
And one of the things that also jumps out at me really very in very much interest is a quote that he talk, talked about with younger players at Watford. Now, he can't be talking about the academy players at Watford because the academy players in, in at Watford, the men's academy players, do respect their elders. Because Ryan Andrews does. Because Toby Adiemo does. Because James Morris does. Because Adrian Blake does. I can go on and on about the academy. They respect their elders in the footballing schema at Watford in the first team. They, expect, they respect them. They respect their fellow male players. The elder statesmen, if you will. So I don't think the quote that I'm about to read to you now, quotes, I should say, plural. I don't think that what Ben Manga is speaking about here applies to the academy players who've been playing lately. So here's what Ben Manga had to say in one of the interviews, one of the portions of the interview that Andrew French did with him. In every team, said Manga, you need a good balance, and that includes four or five senior players. They are your leaders on the pitch, in the changing room, and also off the pitch. The young players have to understand that. And it needs to be made clear to them from the first day in preseason. As a club, we've, we have to look after that group of senior players. People have to understand their importance and their leadership is what others must follow. The young players need to appreciate this. Now, this is Ben Manga speaking. If a player has 100 caps for their country, they have clearly reached some sort of level, which means they can take the responsibility to talk. If a younger player, if a young player is not happy with that, regardless of if they are playing or not, he has to accept it. If he can't accept it, then he has to show respect to the senior players anyway. If a younger player cannot come to terms with the senior players, then the manager will have to try and help him understand. If the player still doesn't want to listen, then he will have to come to see me. But that, but by that point, if he can't understand how we operate, then it might be too late for him anyway. So, for sure... We will need experienced players who can assist with the transition of younger players. And we will also need young players to buy into it. That's all coming from Ben Manga. As quoted by Andrew French. What Ben Manga said in this interview to Andrew French, the Watford Observer. And those comments are also revealing because it says to me, by implication, that you've got young players at this club whom surprise, surprise, do not respect their elders. And I talked about the fact that Craig Cathcart would be one of the senior statesmen at this club. I talked about the fact that Christian Cavaselli would be one of those as well, and that Tom Cleverley would be one of those as well. Dan Gosling, before he left, was one of those as well. And again... The younger players at Watford, the younger men's players, whether it be Ismail Sarr, whether it be some of the other younger players, I don't think João Pedro falls under this at all because I think he does respect his elders. 
in the team. But these younger players, and I think Saw's one of them, and there are others, I don't get the sense that they do respect what the Craig Cathcarts of the world have to say. I don't get that sense. I really don't. And obviously there's a problem there because you can tell when players aren't pulling their weight, when players aren't fighting for balls, when players are getting dispossessed and then nobody and they're not tracking back to try and win the ball back, it's inexcusable. It's inexcusable. That kind of stuff's inexcusable in football. I don't care who's doing it, it's inexcusable. You can't be dispossessed and then not have pride enough to want to run back and you're not running back to try to get that ball back again. You're not trying to retrieve that ball that's been picked from you. You've had your pocket picked and you're not going to run after that person who's picked your pocket. If you're walking down the street at Watford High Street and someone picks your pocket, do you mean to tell me you're going to just sit there and you're going to just watch that person run away with your wallet or your purse or your handbag? Or are you going to pull a freaking full-paced sprint to try to chase them down and get them and get your wallet or your purse back or your handbag back? And that's the problem with players at Watford, some of them, who just don't run once the ball is taken from them. They just stand there. And Ismail Assar is one of those who's guilty of that, as are others. And yes, Ismail Assar was awarded the EFL goal of the season for his goal, of course, against West Brom in the second game of the season that ended in a 1-1 draw. And listen, that's that really doesn't mean anything to me now. I mean, if this was in a season that Watford played well and that Ismail Assar who does have 10 goals this season, played well throughout the season, I might clap and I might get to be a bit more appreciative of that goal. But that was a million miles away and a million years ago now as far as I'm concerned with this club. And we all knew when that goal was struck from way bit from behind the halfway line in Watford's own half that it was going to be goal of the season. We all said that when it happened last August. And now here we are, six months later, in fact, more than six months later. We're now eight months removed, would you believe? Eight months later, after that particular wonder goal, and we're nonplussed about everything because the season was an utter failure. And I think Ben Manger, with those comments about younger players, I mean, you can't help but think about some of the players he might be talking about. And he surely knows that there's been some subversion in that dressing room. And you've got to get rid of players, whether they're younger or older or whatever they are, who do not pay any attention to what the established leaders at the football team have to say about anything. And now you've got a bunch of selfish footballers, selfish men's footballers who are just doing whatever they want to do. Because the leadership has been undermined. There is no clear leader anymore. The leadership, if there is any, has been countermanded. There's a mutiny in the clubhouse. Clearly something's going on. And the bottom line is the culture comes from the top. As numerous Watford fans have said. So Ben Manga's comments, I think, offer and show you an understanding. Show you a man who understands what the task ahead is. Knows that. This is not going to be a quick, plain sailing thing. Although he expressed confidence that Watford will be contending again. He didn't say that he was guaranteeing promotion. In fact, if you look at some of the comments in these interviews, he says at one point, I can't 100% promise. I cannot promise. This is a quote now, direct. 
I cannot promise 100% that we will get promoted next season, but what I can say is that we will get good players and people who and people will enjoy watching Watford. Well, that's good news. That's good news. I think it's going to take two or three seasons before any realistic push for promotion from this league comes for Watford. I think it'll be taking at least two seasons. At least, at least two. Now, it could happen before that, but the reason I'm saying at least two, maybe three seasons, is because you've got to have a nucleus in place. You've got to have an established identity. And this club has lost its way in terms of its identity. Certainly on the pitch it has, and in some areas off the pitch it has as well. There needs to be a wholesale change. Ben Manga, I think, represents some of that. I think you still have to give Ben Manga some time here. This summer will be a very important make-or-break summer in terms of rebuilding, not make-or-break for promotion. That's not what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at make-or-break as to how Ben Manga will end up building a foundation with the kinds of players he brings in. That's what I'm talking about because promotion for me at the minute is the farthest thing from my mind. I've said this over and over again. The thing that has to be looked at is the rebuilding and the reassembling of the culture at this club, the culture amongst the players, the connection with fans. That does not happen in two minutes. It doesn't. And it requires the careful, sensitive approach and planning. And it requires a lot more. And so Ben Manga, I think in this interview that he has with Andrew French doing the interview, I think it's a, it's a good start. Yes, um, some people don't like the fact that um, Ben Manga has a relationship with Udinese. But look, the bottom line is, is that you're never going to have anyone that's perfect, perfect in terms of the resonate, resume, in terms of what you might agree with or not agree with. There's never a person on the planet who you're going to agree with 100% of the time. You may not like the association with Udinese because there's some ill will there, I think, among some Watford fans perhaps around that with Gino and the priority of Udinese, the perceived priority of Udinese over Watford and all the rest of that. So, you know, I understand that. I understand that that's fair. But the point is, is that Ben Manga now, I think, is committed to doing this in a really meaningful way. He's had success across Europe and it doesn't mean it's going to be instant success at Watford, but at least you're bringing in someone here. You've got someone in here now who is committed to turning things around through the redevelopment and rebuilding and recruiting. He has loads of experience with that, bags of it, as does Helena Costa. And I think that you're, you're going to see this team evolve you're going to see the players evolve and certainly the players who don't evolve are going to be gone uh, ben manga in the interview of andrew french makes it very clear that he's not going to commit to which players stay and go and or or the manager which is understandable you've got to wait till the season's finished the season's not finished yet there's still two more games so and both of those games are against teams with the letter who, whose name begins with the letter s sunderland and stoke those are the two games remaining. And after those two games are finished, when that game against Stoke is finished at the Vic on Monday, May the 8th, then after that final whistle, then you can start to talk about, well, what the plan might be, what the specifics are and what you're going to be doing and who's going to be leaving and who's going to be staying. We know that João Pedro is going to be on his way out. He will probably get an offer probably from Italy at some point. Newcastle here, um, in you know, as far as the United Kingdom is concerned, will probably come in for him again. And I think they'll end up getting him. I think he's going to end up going to Newcastle in the Premier League in the offseason as Newcastle push 
for Champions League now, but will be pushing next season, not just for Champions League, but for a title. I think you'll start to see that. And Newcastle, with all the money that they've got, their ownership there, the Saudi owner there, is going to be putting as much money in as possible to get the desired effect and the desired results to compete with Manchester City. And I think João Pedro is going to be a piece of that puzzle. I think you'll end up seeing João Pedro go to Newcastle in the summer. That's my prediction. Ismail Saw will leave as well. The club will sell him off. I don't know where they'll sell him to. They're not going to get a whole lot of value for him. What are they going to do? Are they going to showcase the wonder goal that he got at West Brom to start to look at uh, his value to the club? You know, he had one good season in 2021 when the Watford uh, first team, men's first team got promoted. He was Graham Taylor player of the season then. I mean, if you're going to tell me that they're going to market that, you know, 10 goals this season, second leading scorer, second uh, second highest scorer on the team. You want to market that? How much value do you think you're getting it for Ismail Asar? He's much better on the world stage than he's been at Watford, generally speaking. So, you know, we can talk about that. But they'll get, they'll sell him in the off season, and they'll, you know, they'll see some other players go. I think that Chowdhury will be gone, and he's a, look, he's a loney anyway. He's not going to be at the club. He's going to be at Leicester. And Leicester, the way Leicester are going, I think Leicester are going down, you know. So as far as I'm concerned, he'll be back with them in the, he'll be back in the championship but with Leicester City. That's what you're probably going to see there. I think that Ken Semler could be on his way out. I think if I had my druthers, what I would do, I would be keeping, maybe keeping Ken Semler because he is a leader. I think you could do well to keep him as part of the nucleus. I know that the club may be keeping both Cabaselli and Cleverly. Um, there may be a contract for Cleverly already. I think there is. Um, so there's going to be some senior players around. Cabaselli is going to probably stay, again, as a senior figure, more of a statesman-like ambassador outside uh, the field, really, because he wants to. he's probably going to be the person who is uh, one of the you know, people who represents the club off the pitch more than he is on it. Um, and I think that's why Watford are going to keep someone like him and Tom Cleverley as well. Don't know if Tom Cleverley is really going to get any more games anyway. You can keep, if you want to keep those two players, look, I mean, I don't necessarily think that those two players are the answer for Watford. But again, they are leaders, even though they may not lead on the pitch in quite the same way they used to. They are leaders and so they're going to do their bit. And so I think... Look, if you really, I mean, I, I would probably be saying that they should move on. But, you know, if the club wants to keep him, I guess they're going to do that. But who I would keep? Ken Sammer, I would keep him. I'd keep Francisco Alta. I think that he still has something to offer. You know, I think he's still, before he got injured, he, he still was the best defender that Watford had. Well, Matty Pollock, should he stay? I think Pollock should be given a run. I think he should be given a run. I, I think Ryan Porteous, could you really keep him? I don't know. I don't know. Um, he is young. He's, what, 21, 22, 23, whatever he is. Um, he's young. Wes Hook can leave. He can move on. Um, but aside from that, Kone, I'd keep Kone around. I would keep uh, Tom Deli Bashiru. I think he's got to stick around as well. Imran Luza can go. I think he can move on. I would also move on Kayembe. I think he needs to move on. Uh, Kalu, I would like to see Kalu stick around. There's another player who's 24 but looks like he's 34 or a bit more than that. But Kalu, the problem for him is just been injured a lot. And when he hasn't been injured, he's not been getting any playing time. 
So for me, I, I would like to see Carlu stay around the place. I think he can have he can offer something. He's one of those very few players that's got something got a bit of devil in him to go forward and always does make an impact when he gets on the pitch, even if he doesn't score. He makes an impact and, and he does help liven things up. I'd like to see him stay. I would like to see uh the player who's now on loan, I forget where he's on loan. I would like to see Joe Hungbo stay. I would like to see him come back into the side and and uh, play. Domingos Kina, who's been on loan now for two seasons, I think at Elche in Spain or wherever he is on loan in Italy or Spain, he needs to go now. I think I think the time is up for him. The club has clearly told you that they are not interested in, in having him play first-team football at Watford. And I think he now has to move on. I think the club will let him go at the end of this season when the loan spell is over at his club, wherever he is, and he'll go. I think he'll be gone. And I think you've got to move on from him. If you've now loaned out a player for two straight seasons or more, by definition, you're not interested in him. You're trying to balance the books and whatever and for your finances and whatnot. And uh, you, you have no desire in keeping him around the club. He's got to move on. Ignacio Pasetto, you know, where is he? On loan somewhere, whether it's Udinese or elsewhere, he needs to move on as well. I would, I would let him go. So there's a number of players I would let go. And I've given you a few of those. Uh, as I said, the players who should stay, TDB, Tom Deli Bashiru. I would like to keep free, uh, Francisco Sierralta. Matty Pollock should stay. James Morris and all the rest of the academy players should be now bedded into this lineup. I would like to see that happen. Um, in terms of the goalkeeping, Daniel Batman, I think, should, should move on now. Um, could you keep him for next season, perhaps? But I think it's time to see what Maduka Okoye can do. We need a new goalkeeper. Maduka Okoye has not been getting playing time or he's been injured or whatever it is, but he needs to be, or he's out on loan, I think he might be. He needs to be back in the frame here for Watford and take a chance. Play him. Play him. You got you spent all this money or whatever you did with him. Play the man, you know? And then also get a backup goalkeeper. Get a new goalkeeper then. If you don't want either of these players in goal, then put someone else in goal who's brand new. So, you know, there's a lot to dissect. There's a lot of people that need to be leaving this club. Chief among them is Myla Saar. You know, he has not pulled his weight. Even though he scored 10 goals, he's just not been. Uh, he's been a shell of what he was two years ago when he was player of the season. And he needs to move on now. He does not personify the spirit of the kinds of players we need in here. And, and he's not going to be that player. I'll tell you who was a really good Watford player who just... You know, he knew, he wanted to uh, make a move to be close to his family, I think it was. And that was Samir. Samir was terrific. I thought Samir really put a foot wrong last season at Watford. He came in in January, and I thought he was really good. Really good. But, you know, he's not around anymore. So, you know, you need players like that that show you something, you know, that will fight for the shirt. Samir did that when he was here. All too briefly, the Brazilian. Really good player, you know, cared. But Ismail Assar does not belong in that bracket. So he has got to move on and he will, he will go. He will go. There's no question about it. Um, that's the story here. And that's basically all I have to say about the players. I'll be talking more about that in the near future. Um, but there's so much promise I see in the future with these academy players. And I would like to see them really become 
a swift part of all of this stuff at Watford. You know, I know that Bakunya's going to be gone. Obviously, he'll be gone at the end of the season. Brit British Somalonga will be gone when the season ends in a couple of weeks, a few weeks' time. These kinds of players will move on. And understood, veteran players who I don't think will have a future at Watford. But what you have to do if you're Ben Manga is bring in players who want to play here and who do toe the line when it comes to the leadership in the clubhouse. You've got to, you've got to follow the leadership in the clubhouse. Like Ben Manga said in the quotes I read out earlier, even if you don't agree, you have to respect the leadership. I mean, you may say that you don't agree, but you still have to respect the leadership of the team in terms of the, the captain of the team. You have to respect your leader on the, on the pitch. You know, and if you have a difference of opinion, fine, and you might discuss that, but you still have to play the football and you can't be on the pitch sulking. That's not going to get anybody anywhere. So we'll see what happens. I think that Ben Manga is someone who I think, at least in these interviews, is putting forth the kinds of things that you want to hear. Now, what I'd like to do and what I'd like for Watford as a club to do is put this stuff out publicly in statements directly to the fans. I don't, you know, look, I understand Watford Observer is a news gathering uh, organization and it does a good job, I think, uh, on the sporting end of things. And Andrew does a good job with that. But I want to see this club, and I've said this before, put statements out publicly through their communications channels, not Watford Observer. You can put it in there too. But go through social media and go through your website and put statements out directly to the fan base so that we can see. So that we don't, so some of us may not read the Watford Observer. And so, you know, there's people all around the world who support Watford. And they know what the Watford website is. They know that watfordfc.com is the website. So put your statements out there on the website like you do when you're sacking managers. You put that on your website. So put these things about the plans for the club and what you want for this club on your website, on your social media channels, so that more and more people can see it. That makes perfect sense to me. That is it for this edition of Yawns. Don't forget to follow on Twitter at YawnsWFC. Also on Instagram at YawnsWFC. For writings about Watford, go to YawnsWFC.wordpress.com. Don't forget to subscribe to the YawnsWFC YouTube channel. Like and subscribe now, won't you please? And spread the word about the YawnsWFC YouTube channel. I'll be doing another Yawns post-match on Twitter Spaces after the game between Sunderland and Watford this coming Saturday. There is a Yawns Twitter Spaces post-match after every Watford game, as well as a Yawns Extra on Instagram Live after every game on Instagram at WFC. That is indeed all for now. The final score again over the weekend was in the FAWNL Cup Final, Nottingham Forest 3, Watford 2, and in the men's first team championship match at the MKM, Hull City 1, Watford 0. I'm Omar, and until next time, yeah.